Hello, everybody. Here we go again. This is experience number 23, and we're continuing our summer camp series. This is part four, and I actually don't know what I'm going to call it. Um, We'll call this one who. We're going to call it who, but with a question mark. So I'll call it who? (laughs) Experience 23, summer camp part four, who? (laughs) This is actually take two of who, because I tried to take one this morning, and since I am the least skilled person in all the land when it comes to technology, I did something wrong during the recording, and it wouldn't upload. Um, so we're doing it again, and I had a date with my son to watch the Cubs play on TV, and they are down nine to nothing at the moment, and so Parker wisely said, I can't watch this anymore. So he's outside playing before the rain comes in, and so I'm giving this another shot. Experience 23, uh, honored and glad that you're listening. And we will start this experience with a premise. And, and there's a bit of a continuation from the last one, but the premise is this. The good news that works for me has to work for you. That's our starting point today. The good news that works for me has to work for you. If no one is more valuable to God than me, then no one is more valuable to God than you. And if no one is more valuable to God than you, then no one is more valuable to God than the person next to you or the people you interact with every day or the people you live with or the people you (laughs) can't stand. The good news that works for me has to work for you. If the good news of Jesus isn't good news for everybody, then it isn't really good news for anybody. A few weeks ago, our son graduated preschool, which is a big deal. And my wife was at the school. There was some special class thing going on during the last week of classes. And uh, my wife was observing Parker and his friends during recess. And they like to play soccer. And they have captains. And so the captains will pick the players for their team. And Parker had a classmate who was always picked last. And so what this student learned to do to save himself of the embarrassment for always getting picked last, because he didn't like it, who would? Uh, when they'd ask him if he wanted to play, he'd start to say, no, I don't want to play. And then they'd pick teams and then he wouldn't get picked because he wasn't playing and the game would start and he would just join one of the teams and play anyway. Actually, really, really smart of the student. But there was this embarrassment of I always get picked last and I don't want to deal with that anymore. And so Parker on this particular day when my wife is watching was a captain and he got first pick and his first pick he picked this student who always got picked last, even though the student said he wasn't going to play. He's like, I want you on my team. And so the student got a smile on his face and went over to play on Parker's team. And so Corey is telling me this at dinner time that night. And so I looked at Parker and I said, why, why did you pick him first? And his response was, uh, well, he doesn't like getting picked last. And I know he wants to play. And I, I wanted him on my team. Now, Parker is like, competitive, rip your head off and don't apologize, win at all costs kind of attitude and personality. Um, But I am more proud of that moment with my son than I could ever be, no matter how many different games that he wins in his lifetime. Here's what the good news of Jesus says. I pick you and I pick you first. That's the good news. I mean, that's a gospel story right there. Question, who have you wanted to not love? And I'm warning that 
intentionally, I'm not wording it, who have you not wanted to love? Because I think the phrase, who have you wanted to not love, is more like, I've intentionally not loved you and maybe done things that actually go against loving you. Who have you wanted to not love? Who have you wished that the love and grace of Jesus was not good news for, for whatever reason? And we all have had people like this in our lives who we just have wanted to not love for one reason or another. And when you read through the Gospels, the Jesus stories, it's amazing to see the people Jesus loves who we may not want to or we may not even think about loving. Who have you wanted to not love? And so what I want to do is I want to go through four different types of people who maybe we wanted to not love and talk about that. And then we'll end with a passage from Colossians, something Paul says in Colossians chapter three. So first, who have you wanted to not love because of who they are? Simply because of who they are. There's a story in the gospels where Jesus is in Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon is, it was, Tyre and Sidon was a, a Gentile area, region. Uh, Gentile is a word that simply means not Jewish. And if you were Gentile, you were, if you're Jewish, Gentiles were unclean. You didn't want much to do with Gentiles. They were unclean. So Jesus is in this unclean region. And this woman, this Canaanite woman, we're told, which means she's a Gentile, comes up to Jesus. And she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Great prayer, by the way. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She says, my daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Now, Jesus' disciples are with them. And their reaction is, uh, what they say is, send her away. That's their, that's their response. Get her out of here. Like we're on a mission and she's not a part of it. Um, so like she's a waste, waste of time. We're not here to help her. Uh, we don't want her around. Why? Well, she's not Jewish. She's a Canaanite. She's a Gentile. She's unclean. Who she is, according to the disciples, disqualifies her from Jesus helping her. So Jesus' answer to this woman is an interesting one. He says, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, he's like, I'm not for you. <laughs> I'm not here for you, which this isn't normal for Jesus. And he's not being mean. He's, he's uh, actually, we're told he's testing her faith. So it's not like he doesn't want to help her, which we will see. And she just, I love this woman. She argues with him. She's like, help me. <laughs> and Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And this woman says, yes, it is. <laughs> she doesn't let up. Yes, it is. Even the dogs get the scraps from the children's table, she says. In other words, she says, I know who you are. I believe you're the Messiah. I know you can help me. And so I'm, I'm coming to you to help me. My daughter is, is suffering. And then Jesus says this to the woman. This is Matthew 15, by the way. She said, Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And we're told the daughter was healed at that moment. Now, some background here. Uh, Old Testament scriptures tell us that the Jews were God's chosen people. Okay, true. Yes. The New Testament tells us that Jesus came to be the king of the Jews. True. Yes. Uh, so Jesus did come first and foremost for the Jews, but this was a, a short-term temporary urgency. Uh which ended, by the way, with the, with the death and resurrection of Jesus, and even, I would say, the life of Jesus. So Jesus isn't like being disrespectful for this woman. We're told he's testing her faith, and it's actually the opposite. 
So Jesus is in a Gentile town, unclean. He's with a Gentile, talking to a Gentile woman, unclean. There is a Gentile girl involved with who's demon possessed. That's like double unclean. And so everything in this story says Jesus should do what the disciples tell him to do and just send her away and not have anything to do with her. So when Jesus accepts this woman and tells her her faith, she has great faith and her request has been granted and she heals the daughter. What he's doing is he's saying, okay, all these old barriers are being thrown away. They're all no longer does the ability to receive love and mercy and healing for me depend on who you are. I have come for everybody. Who have you wanted to not love because of who they are? Who have you, some examples here. Who have you wanted to not love because of what they look like or, or how they speak or what they wear or how much they weigh or how tall or short they are? Who have you wanted to not love because of where they live or the color of their skin or what they do for a living or what their parents do for a living or what their children do for a living or what their family dynamics are or who they're married to or how good they are at something or how bad they are at something. This reminds me of a little bit of junior high when you kind of have cliques. Remember junior high? And if people who aren't in your clique, if they're different from you, then, then you find reasons to, to see something wrong with them. And a lot, unfortunately, this gets carried over into adulthood. Who was it at work that, that you wanted to not love because of... Uh, how much they talk. <laughs> Who is it at your school you want to not love because of uh, what they wear, or what they look like, or who they hang out with? And lots of times, these things are something they we want to not love people because of something that they actually can't control. They can't change, but it's different from how we are, and so we don't like it. How can you take take a step toward loving them today or tomorrow or this coming week? No matter who they are. Who have you wanted to not love because of who they are? Next, number two. Who have you wanted to not love because of what they've done? Whether they've done it to you or whether they've kind of done it to themselves and they've brought some sort of perception onto themselves. A couple stories here. Uh, Gospels of Luke tells us about Zacchaeus. And in the story of Zacchaeus, we, learn, we, we find out three things about Zacchaeus. The details were given. given. One, he's a, he's a chief tax collector. Two, he's wealthy. And three, he's a wee little man. <laughs> Come on. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know, you had it in your head. So chief tax collector, what's, what this means is he was a man who worked for the Roman government. Roman government, um, during the time of Jesus, had like the their boot on the neck of the Jewish Jewish people. They were oppressing them. They were mistreating them and they would actually collect taxes from them. So what Zacchaeus's job was, he was Jew, Jewish. His job was to work for the Roman government. He would go collect taxes from his own people and give it to the Roman government. And the Roman government had a specific amount that Zacchaeus would have to collect from the Jews and give it to them. But what Zacchaeus could do and did do was collect more than that, and he would get to keep the extra money, which means Zacchaeus got rich off of ripping off his own people, okay? Um, If you were Jewish, you didn't like Zacchaeus, understandably so. Uh, 
so Zacche- uh, Jesus is walking through Jericho and Zacchaeus wants to see him. And so he is a wee little man. He can't see over the crowd. And so he climbs a sycamore fig tree, which incidentally had these low branches. So a wee little man could climb it and he climbs up to see Jesus. Now, needless to say, the rest of the people who want to see Jesus who are there don't want to see Zacchaeus. They don't like him. And Jesus is walking through and Luke tells us that Jesus came to the spot. He came to the spot. And then he looks up and sees Zacchaeus. Now, up until this point of the story, the perception Luke gives us is that Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, which is true. But there's almost a flip here. Is it actually Jesus who wants to see Zacchaeus? He came to the spot. He knew exactly where to go. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. How does he know Zacchaeus' name? How does he know where to go? And he says, I must stay at your house today. I'm coming over to your home. Why is Jesus so smart as to invite himself to somebody else's house where he can get fed and not have to clean up after the party? So Zacchaeus comes down and they go to his house and the people who are there obviously don't like this. They don't like Zacchaeus, so they don't like this. Like he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. So there's this shindig going on at Zacchaeus' house. And at one point there's this heart transformation and Zacchaeus says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. By the way, in Judaism at this time, it was considered generous if you gave 20% of your possessions away. Zacchaeus has just said he'll do two and a half times that. I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And then he says, which is one of my favorite lines in all of scripture, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything. (laughs) If you're sitting there, you're like, what? What are you talking? You've cheated everybody out of everything. What do you mean if I have cheated anybody out of anything? Nevertheless, he says, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount, which was much more than the law would require you to pay back if you stole from somebody. And then Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he says this, this is Luke 19. He says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham, which means he comes from a long line of God followers, people God loved. This man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Yeah, by the way, the name Zacchaeus, you know what it means? It means innocent, <laughs> which is just funny because Zacchaeus was the furthest thing from innocent. But maybe that's how God sees people that we don't like because of what they've done, because of what he's done, because of what Jesus has done. There's, this is a healing story. This is a salvation story. This is a transformation story. Next story here. Jesus goes to eat a meal at a religious leader's house. And the sinful woman, we're told. We're not told more details about that or why she's considered a sinful woman. But the sinful woman hears that Jesus is at this house. And she just <laughs> invites herself over where she's not particularly wanted. Walks in, I'm assuming, without knocking or ringing the doorbell. And she has this... A jar of perfume that she pours on Jesus' feet and she anoints his feet with it. And these religious leaders aren't having it. They're like, if he knew, if Jesus knew what she had been up to, if Jesus knew who she was, if Jesus knew what she's done, if Jesus knew her background, there's no way he'd let her touch him. See, here her background is the problem. Um, number one, she's a woman. Um, so that's like culturally, that's a big deal. But number two, like her background is an issue. And it's her fault. She's done some things that have given the town this particular perception of her. She's made certain decisions um, 
that reflect poorly on her. She's done this to herself. And so Jesus tells us religious leaders a parable. He knows what they're thinking and saying. And he says, okay, here's the deal. Two people owed money to the same person. One person owed 500 denarii. The other owed 50. A denarius, by the way, was what you would get paid for a day's worth of work. It was a day's wage, basically. So one person owed this other person uh, 50 days worth of their wages. Another person owed 500 days worth of their wages. And Jesus says, okay, suppose neither of these people could pay this person back. So he forgave, or she forgave, whoever did, both their debts. Which one will love this person more? Which of these two who owed would love the person more? And they say, well, uh, we suppose the one who had been forgiven the bigger debt, the, the 500 denarii. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you know why? Because whoever has been forgiven a lot loves a lot. They show great love, Jesus says. And he says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Yeah, this woman has done a lot of stuff, um, but I'm forgiving her for it. And she's going to love me a great deal because she has been forgiven much. Who is it that you've wanted to not love because of what they've done? Maybe it's uh, a Zacchaeus issue. Either way, their background is the problem. It's, it's their history. And maybe it's the Zacchaeus issue where this is the result of how they've treated you or how they've treated others. Uh, the parent left or the spouse left, or the friend spread the rumor about you, or the person who's not your friend spread the rumor about you. Or maybe it's a sinful woman issue. It's their fault everyone sees them this way. They deserve this. Like, they brought this on themselves. The person, the the bully picked on like one or two or ten too many people, and so now everyone's kind of turned against them. The person just kind of flippantly dates or sleeps with a new person, uh, every couple of weeks. And so now the whole school or the whole workplace has, or the whole family has this perspective of her. Yeah, they've done this to themselves. They deserve this. Here's my plea to you. Don't withhold love from someone because of their past. You might be really, really shocked at how they can live in the future. You might be really shocked at how they can change and be transformed. And get this, you might be just the person they need to believe in them. Who have you wanted to not love because of what they've done? Third, who have you wanted to not love because they are actively against you? They're actively against you. So it's the night before Jesus is killed. And it's the, the night he is arrested. And he's in the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples and this crowd of people come to him to arrest him. And and then in all the hubbub, we're told that Peter, remember the disciple on Red Bull, if someone's going to act here and do something, it's going to be Peter. He takes his sword and he drew it and he struck the high priest servant, cutting off his right ear, we're told. By the way, this is like another level of betrayal than if you're Zacchaeus stealing from your own people. Uh, This guy, this chief priest, he's come to arrest and have killed the savior of the world, the Messiah. So this is another level. And so Jesus cuts off his ear. He's like, nope. And then Jesus has this, Peter cuts off his ear. And then Jesus has this to say to Peter, no more of this. And both Matthew, this is Luke's gospel. Both Matthew and John tell us that Jesus says to Peter, put away your sword, put away your sword, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. 
which by the way, is not how I would have reacted if I were Jesus. If these guys come to arrest to me to kill me and my buddy cuts off their ear, I would have been like, good job, Peter. Watch this. I'll get the other ear. <laughs> but instead, Jesus' response and his attitude is, what, what you doing, Pete? What you doing, Pete? That's not how we treat people here. We're not in the hurting business. We're in the, we're in the healing business. Who is it that you wanted to not love because they're actively against you? They've manipulated you. They've deceived you. They've lied about you. And your gut response is, I'm going to hurt them back. I'm going to hurt them back. And I'm going to make sure everyone else knows what they did. And I want other people to not like them as much as I don't like them. Uh, Another way to put this is, who do you need to forgive? Because of what they're currently doing or what they've done in the past. Uh, I've brought up this book before. Desmond Tutu wrote a book called The Book of Forgiving. Fantastic book. If you need to forgive someone, read this book. Uh, Desmond Tutu, Tutu was a pastor in South Africa during uh, the time of there was racism, uh, inequality among race, oppression, um, a time when only white people could vote, a time when really only white people could get a good education or expect to get good jobs or get paid well. And a lot of times people uh, would get killed simply because of the color of their skin. And so lots of people were against Desmond Tutu actively against him because he was black. And in the nineties, South Africa kind of turned it around and uh, remarkably Desmond Tutu was able to forgive those who hurt him. I mean, actually truly forgive them. And uh, he says a lot of things in this book, but two of the things, two of his points are this number one, says there is nothing that cannot be forgiven. There's nothing that can't be forgiven. And then number two, he says there's no one undeserving of forgiveness. Which, if you need to forgive someone and they're actively against you, these are kind of tough things to swallow. There's nothing that cannot be forgiven. There's no betrayal. There's no manipulation. There's no deception that can't be forgiven. And there's no one undeserving of forgiveness. The person you hate the most he or she is not undeserving of forgiveness. So here's the question. Who's your Malchus? John tells us, by the way, that high priest's name is Malchus. Who's your Malchus? Who has actively fought against you or who is actively fighting against you? To a point where it almost feels like they're trying to kill you. Maybe not physically, but relationally or emotionally or psychologically. There's, there was some form of abuse or that person didn't just spread one rumor about you. They, they, there's a new hurtful word floating around about you every day. Do you need to put away the sword of retaliation? Your gut reaction is, I'm going to get them back. You pull a Peter and you just, you want to cut off their ear or worse. <laughs> you've been fighting back. You've been spreading rumors back. You've been plotting how you can take them down before they take you down. And Jesus is saying, what you doing, son? Or what you doing, daughter? That's not how we treat people here. We're not in the hurting business. We're in the healing business. They, they've done some things against you. I know. It hurts. You want it to stop. Uh, let me take care of that. Let me take care of that. You take care of healing yourself and if you can, healing the relationship. By the way, Desmond Tutu talks about renewing or the releasing the relationship of people you need to forgive. Do you need to work at renewing it or do you just need to forgive them and release it? Because that's okay too sometimes. Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like this. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, 
turn to them the other cheek also. Um, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. I want to hit them back on their cheek. He says, love your enemies. Mm. No, I don't want to do that. He says, pray for those who persecute you. What? Well, it depends what I'm praying for. If I'm playing, praying for like an accident, then oh, no, no. Pray for those who persecute you. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Anyone can do that. What if you could love people who actually hate you? <laughs> who is it you've wanted to not love because they're actively against you? And then fourth, who have you wanted to not love because others don't think you should? Because others don't think you should. There's a story where Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And this woman is there who's been crippled by an evil spirit for 18 years. 18 years. This like spirit inside of her is now the age of a teenager, um, almost out of a teenager. And she's bent over. She can't straighten up. And Jesus sees her and he calls her forward, which I love because Jesus knows what he's about to do is going to tick off the religious leaders. And Jesus says to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity or woman, you are set free from your sickness. And he puts his hands on her and she immediately straightens up and starts praising God. Now, if you're in a worship service and someone who's been sick for 18 years, crippled for 18 years, has an evil spirit for 18 years, gets healed, what everyone in the place has to be jumping up and down and celebrating and, and praising God for this, right? No, not in this case, almost. I imagine most people are, but there's the synagogue leader. He gets a little grouchy and he gets ticked off and he says to the people there, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days. Because on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to work. And according to him, healing here is uh, not allowed on the Sabbath, according to the law. So this dude doesn't think Jesus should have just loved and he- helped this woman. Um, but then Jesus kind of sets him and the rest of the religious leaders straight. And he says this, this is Luke 13. He says, you hypocrites, by the way, not a compliment. If Jesus calls you a hypocrite, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox, ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, remember Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham. She comes from a long line of people. My father loves whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years. Be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. And I used to think for a long time, this teaching from Jesus was, hey, religious leaders, if you can break the Sabbath, why can't I? But actually, it's more beautiful and a deeper teaching than that, because here's the deal. According to the Old Testament law, you could untie your ox or, or ox or donkey on the Sabbath. So it didn't run away or didn't get stolen or whatever. You could also lead it, your donkey or ox to get it water on the Sabbath, as long as the animal didn't, wasn't carrying anything on their back. So Jesus isn't saying here, hey, fellas, if you can break the Sabbath, why can't I? No, it's actually more beautiful than that. He says, um, if it's allowed on the Sabbath for you to untie your ox or donkey or to lead it to get it water, which it is allowed on the Sabbath, then of course (laughs) it's allowed on the Sabbath for me to heal this woman who God created and God loves, who's been sick and miserable. (laughs) from what bound her for the last 18 years. Of course, it's okay for me to set her free on the Sabbath. So just because you don't want me to heal her and love her because of what day of the week it is, uh, I'm not going to follow your rigid and legalistic. That's not going to stop me 
from doing what's right and loving her and setting her free on the Sabbath? Who have you wanted to not love because others don't think you should? Um, this is like, this reminds me of high school lunch tables. I don't know about you. Were, were lunch tables a big deal for, in your high school? Like, did that, were you sad at the lunch table? Did that say something about your social status? Maybe junior high, maybe the beginning of high school. But here's my story. The beginning of my freshman year, I sat with my middle school friends at, at, the, at lunch because that's who I knew. That's who I was comfortable with. That's who I was friends with. They were great. And then I started to play sports with some other people at the beginning of high school in the fall. And they sat at another table. And I don't know, a month in or so, a month and a half in, two months in of school, I all of a sudden left the table where my middle school friends sat at and went and sat with my new sports friends, which nothing wrong with that. You can sit wherever you want. Making new friends is okay. The problem was I never told my middle school friends that I wasn't going to sit with them anymore. Um, and so I just kind of left and never came back one day. Worse than that, I started to treat them differently because I didn't know what my new sporty high school friends thought of my middle school friends. I actually started to love my middle school friends less because I didn't know what my new friends thought of them. I mean, can you get any more lame than that? <laughs> lame than that? How, who have you wanted to not love because others don't think you should? Is there anyone who you aren't loving or you're showing respect to? Because if you do, you know somebody else won't like it. Like if you're friendly with that person at work, this other person at work, uh, will think like there's something wrong with you because they think there's something wrong with them. If you hang out with this person, then your, your family member or parents won't like it because they don't like that person. If you forgive the person who hurt you terribly, someone who you deeply respect will think you're weak and you definitely don't want that. Who have you wanted to not love because others don't think you should? So to recap here, who have you wanted to not love because of who they are? or because of what they've done, or because they're actively against you, or because others don't think you should. What like specific names have come to your mind in the last, I don't know how long this has been, half hour or so? Are there one or two or three or four names? And pay attention to those, because typically in these types of conversations, our gut reactions are, are correct. Who is it? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And whoever, whoever you've thought about, whoever you wanted to not love, uh, loving them, it's going to take compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. It, it won't be easy. There's a reason, a good reason <laughs> maybe why you'd want to not love them. Uh, it won't be easy. But as we all know, easy is lame and unbiblical. In the Gospel of John, John starts off by saying that the word became flesh. The word has to become flesh. Ideas have to become actions, which, which we'll talk about next time. But for right now, we'll say the good news that works for me 
also has to work for you, which means it also has to work for the people around you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Much love, grace, and peace.